out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Indeed. I'm not sure if that's completely true, Jim. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 Show. Welcome once again. I've been delving through the archives and came across this interview I did with Les McEwen from the Bay City Rollers. This was actually last year. And there's another one that I did a few years before that when he was um, about to tour this very area. I think he's always on tour at the moment. Anyway, this is the interview. Um, I don't know how long it lasts, but it's quality chat. So if you're a fan of Les... And the Bay City Rollers, you'll love it. Anyway, this is uh, the beginning part where I said, was asking him about life, love, poetry and all that kind of other stuff, as well as what he'd been up to recently. And this was his reply. Les, take it away. Well, I thought you were going to say six, 12 years, but uh, <laughs> everything's gone great. You know, we do tours every year in the UK, Japan, Australia, places like that. And uh, yeah, people still love to listen to the basic roller songs. They like to hear the original voice singing them. And uh, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because I remember a few years ago I was watching this documentary on punk rock and they were talking about the Ramones and um, were saying, well, actually, a lot of the early Ramones stuff from... 1976, kind of from New York, was kind of based on some of the early, um, well, some of the rocky numbers from Bay City Rollers. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah, the Ramones always wanted to be the Bay City Rollers. They were good guys. Uh, I knew their manager very well, met Joey and all that stuff. They were great guys. Um, big fans. Um, brilliant. Great, great band. Yes, and it must be nice when you can get a bit of, obviously, a, a bit of a kudos with some sort of punk legends as well. Because obviously, when you sort of hit big in the early 70s, you know, that was the sort of, I suppose there was glam, and you were slightly sort of surfing in the, the glam rock period, weren't you? Yeah, well, they put the basic rollers in with the glam, but we weren't very glam, really. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, the sweet were glam, and uh, I don't know, other bands were glam, but... Yeah, we were just like a bunch of scruffy guys from the wrong side of Edinburgh with the tartan on our costumes. Yes. <laughs> Seemed to work. <laughs> and did it take a while? Because I know speaking to quite a lot of bands, it takes a bit of time before they get their sound sorted, you know, to make a, a sound that's kind of going to be more kind of appealing to, I don't know, more than just their family and friends and the local community, but actually sort of branching out into the, the, la the, the wider world. I think the the, uh, the people who gave the basic rollers their sound or the, the kind of sound, if you think about Shang-A-Lang, if, if you can imagine that right now, um, that is the kind of sound of the basic rollers that I kind of remember. Uh, the definitive basic rollers is in, encompassed in Shang-A-Lang and the drums, the guitar and all that stuff. And that was the producers, Bill Martin and Phil Cooler, who gave us that. Um, unique sound. It was a bit like, yeah, what's his name? That Phil guy who just got put in jail from. Oh, Phil Spector. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They gave us that kind of unique sound. Um, bye bye, baby. Give a little love. They were all coming after that, but we'd already established ourselves with things like Chang Lang, Summer Love Sensation, and all that stuff. All had the same kind of, you know the drums and guitar and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I, I cherish those days. The 1974 was the best year for me. Yes. 
And obviously, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews with bands and, and sort of one thing that I've noticed is that they normally have, is bizarre, I didn't realise this when I was, had began doing all these interviews, was a, a kind of a five-year narrative, you know, of getting together, making a sound that they, they think, oh, actually, this is, this is going places and doing the album at all. And then there's the sort of tricky second album and then anybody who ever seems to do America, after that, things start to get rather tricky. So five years. Yeah. So what was your yeah. sort of, you know, story? Well, you exactly what you said. <laughs> I mean, um, I was on an adventure, really. I mean, I was invited to leave school at 15, joined my first band when I was 15 and a half. Um, went on uh, till I was about, you know, just after my 18th birthday, got invited to join the basic rollers. And then it was a big adventure after that. We went... We were in the charts in January 1974 with a song called Remember. Then we were doing up and down, you know, the UK, going to Germany, Austria, Switzerland, you know, Sweden, Norway, all those kind of places. And then uh, we went off to Australia. Uh, that was kind of crazy. And then Japan and then uh, Canada. And then we eventually, 1976, we got a number one in uh, in America with Saturday Night, and that was that was the ultimate kind of goal, I suppose. So it was a big adventure from 1974 till the middle of 1976. Then, then it started to go a little bit downhill. <laughs> yes, this is um, this is you know when we all thought we were demigods and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yes, I know. Well, it's it's interesting. I think no one can have the moment to sort of take a quick breather. It's just kind of one sort of roller coaster. And the thing that, that, that's always been amazing about the Basic Rollers was that unlike most English-British bands, you know, it doesn't matter if you're sort of on... Yes, British bands, is that mostly they don't really crack America, you know, let alone... Well, back in those days, that's for sure. I mean, that was a very... Uh, everybody, all the bands were concerned with America. I mean, Sweet had come back with a tail between their legs. Slade had come back with a tail between their legs. So there was there was no traction, you know, yes. for British bands in, in 1976 in the USA. But the uh, the American um, boss of Arista Records, Clive Davis, who's infamous and famous for choosing the right artist slash records, he chose Saturday Night to be our our debut single, which had already been a flop in the UK in early 1973 with the old singer in the basic rollers. So we all thought that was a bit strange, but um, and we didn't really understand Clive's power and abilities, so he chose that to be the single for us and sent it out. And the, the, um, the line was he sent it out in a kind of like brown paper bag type of thing and to all the radio stations with with his promotion team and uh, and they played it in New York and it became an, like an instant hit and <laughs> it was great because you know we were all worried about America and here we are flying from Japan of of a Japanese tour flying into America on a number one song <laughs> yes and so it's... it was it couldn't have been any better really. I know. I mean, and obviously at those at that time, you you'd surrounded yourself with good producers, good writers, and you were definitely on the way up. 
you know. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, that this is the reason why the band really broke up at the end of the day. I was exactly what you just said. I was in the, on the team with uh, good writers, good producers, and the other guys were all, and we want to write our own stuff and produce our own stuff. So we had a, a big problem there. And yeah. that's what... That's what really caused the end of the basic rollers, really. Yes, because when you sort of decided to walk away, that was this when you were sort of touring. Yeah, uh, we were in. Uh, I think we were in Switzerland doing the last album. I already told them this is the last album. I'm off. You guys are, you know, messed up. So uh, we have our contracted to do that last album, "Strangers in the Wind." <laughs> And uh, th- and that was it. Um, I was due to leave the band, but we got kind of almost contractually, legally fiddled about with, and I had to do this uh, American stupid TV show called mm, something, I can't remember, but Basic Rollers Puffin' Stuff or something. Um, so I had to go to America to do that. So that delayed the onset of my, my own thing where I was you know, just do my own thing. And, uh, yeah, the Rollers got a, got themselves a, a South African singer who, at that time, with apartheid, couldn't get into places like Japan and Australia because of the apartheid. Um, and uh, they went on to become the Rollers and, and disappeared. I mean, I more or less disappeared as well because I kind of concentrated on Japan, which was a successful market, and also Germany. So I had quite a lot of success in those two markets and just concentrated on them because they were providing me with an income and gigs and, you know, record releases and stuff like that. So that's why I concentrated on that kind of those markets. Yes. For the, for the next, like, three years. I mean, that's that last that, that last album you did as the band, which was, was it Strangers in the Wind, wasn't it? Yeah. Because there yeah. was a couple of really heartfelt songs on there, wasn't there? Which is also there is, yeah, like like "Strangers in the Wind." That's and, uh, I mean, "Don't Let it... the Music Die," stuff like that. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty um, poignant kind of songs. I mean, the fans actually, and well, in Japan especially, love "Don't Let the Music Die" and "Strangers in the Wind." It's the only place in the world that we actually perform. Well, I perform those songs because. In the UK, people don't really know the songs. Uh, Australia, they're not really interested. You know, America and all that kind of stuff. So that album kind of like missed the boat, if you know what I mean. Yeah, because I, I must admit, you know, some of those songs, I mean, when you were singing them, did you sort of feel this is... Yeah, the... I think I did, yeah. I think I did. I know what you mean. I think I did. I think, that, yeah, this is the end. It's all over kind of thing and... I'll see you guys sometime. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. as, a, as a sort of a fan of music, the one thing that we often like the idea of, which might not happen, is that not necessarily about reunions, but that the, the original members kind of can occasionally sort of swap pleasantries. I mean, what's the dynamic like with, with the, the rest of the band? Well, the dynamic right now, um, all these years later, is Alan and I get on very well. His brother Derek and I get on very well. Stuart Woods does get on with me very well, and that's mainly down to his partner. Um, Eric is unfortunately just been missing kind of like for the last three or four years. He's had this um, 
this illness called it's called sort of enfilitis or something like that. It's some kind of problem that he caught maybe three or four years ago, and he's been, you know, off the off off the off the grid, if you know what I mean. But the good news is he's he's sort of like recovering, and he's doing uh, some gigs in Howick up in Edinburgh, kind of Howick kind of like folk festival. So he's slowly kind of coming back into the performing world, which is good news. Um, so, yeah, you know, we're all over 60 now. Yes, well, absolutely. I mean, anyway. <laughs> we're, not, we're not 17 anymore. That's right. So, I mean... But what I do is uh, I just go out there and I just uh, almost um, repeat the last performance, which is cover the stage in town. And I've got a great band who are able to reproduce the songs, the original songs, almost like the record. They've got great singers in the band. They're all lead singers, so they all do great harmonies. Um, and, and you know, every note in the lead solos is exactly like the record. That's the way I want it, you know. Because when, when I go to see bands, I want them to play everything exactly like the record. I don't know if that's everybody. I don't yes. know if that's what you want, but... That's what I want, and I I thought right, that's that's what I should give the fans. So, you know, we wear the the tartan shirts and all that kind of stuff. So we try to reproduce a kind of roller type atmosphere, and it kind of works. Uh, every year we get more people coming to the shows. We've got sold out shows all the time. So yeah, it's good. You must get. Um, do you get sort of almost three generations now coming to see you? Sort of? I do actually, <laughs> I, I, and her husband. <laughs> So we got lots of guys sitting with their wives and maybe a couple of kids. Um, the kids want to see what it's all about. What was mum's, you know, heartthrob and all that stuff. Sometimes when you go to festivals where nobody really, you know, you're just in a mix of uh, lots of groups and you see young people reacting to songs like shang lang because they are catchy songs. Uh, and at that time in the 70s, songwriters wrote the songs to be like almost instantly appealable yes and the songs that the basic rollers had were almost like instantly appealable and and it still works even today with strangers like festivals and that still dancing around shangalayan people who are absolutely far too young to even know who we are (laughs) Which is impressive. I mean, the thing that that, that often uh, tr- trips a lot of people up is management and publishing and stuff like that. Did you, I mean, I know that your story is kind of well documented and it's probably one of the worst stories in rock history, isn't it, really? I mean, did that ever get sorted out? Uh, we, we came to an agreement with Arista Records. It wasn't what we wanted. It was far less than what we wanted, but we came to an agreement and... Um, let's see, I can't remember, maybe it's about a year ago, I started to get my first royalty check from Marissa Records. First royalty check in 47 years. Excellent. Well, I hope it's more than 10. So I'm happy about that. I actually, <laughs> I'm getting a royalty check from the songs that I, you know, I sang on and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm happy about that. Although the amount is far less than what I expected, but it's still... It's a, a step in the right direction. It's 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 closed that door of, you know, conflict and all that kind of stuff. Okay, it's not the exactly the right settlement, but 
it's closed that door and we can get on with just doing things. I don't like conflict. I thought, you know, resolution is, is, is the right way to go with any, any of those sort of things. It just gets it off your back. Yes. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when you have to sort of deal with legality, it's kind of, it's horrendous because it's just the world that you enter into that... Um... But that you don't know nothing about and you're <laughs> in someone else's hands and you don't know what they're up to, you know, it's just very, very... Well, it's it's not nice. I mean, that lasted like 20 years, that conflict. So, yes. I mean, I, mean, you... I got to a stage where I just sort of like gave up and just said, I, I really don't care, <laughs> you know, what they owe me. <laughs> get on with doing what I'm doing, you know, I'm making enough money performing live and that's where the money is right now. Yeah. It's not it's not in uh royal you know, if somebody says, Yeah, yeah, I'll pay you, you know, seventy five percent royalties and all that stuff or you can get ten grand cash. I say, I'll take the ten grand cash, please <laughs> <laughs> Because I just don't believe in all that stuff. You know, you're you're gonna pay me later and the royalties are coming and all that stuff. You just don't believe in it anymore. No, quite. What would you say? What would you say to you know, if you if you had seen your eighteen year old self, you know, what would you say to I'd your eighteen? Smack him up and I'd say, get, get hey, get get wise, man. Sack that manager. Get somebody <laughs> and get somebody who's really going to look after you. But you know, when you say all that, you know, all, with all these faults, and let's face it, Tom Payton had a huge amounts of faults um, as a human being and as a manager. Um, maybe the whole thing wouldn't have happened without his, um, I don't know what you would want to call it, but without his input, let's say. Um, you know, he did things, he made deals, brown envelopes, the whole thing, to make the base rollers big for his own reasons, you know, for his own pocket, not for us. But that drive for him, maybe in a, in a kind of way, caused us to be as, successful as we were in the publicity field, if you know what I mean. I don't know if I'm coming across right. Um, yes. But, you know, sometimes you got to, you know, those things are almost like a necessary evil. That's why I'd like to believe it anyway. Um, you know, he was a complete fucking bastard. But um, apart from that, he did his job <laughs> as a publicity kind of agent. Uh, as a manager and someone who was managing a business, he was completely crap because he just couldn't add up two plus two. You know, he was just stupid. Yes, and then and then obviously, I mean, his, I mean, it's been kind of documented the way he ripped off you and the band quite a lot, and you know, you didn't really get anything. But then his kind of also his personal life, you couldn't have got more seedy if you'd sort of made it up, really. <laughs> no, he could have. I mean. He's got to stand beside, uh, what's his name, that DJ? Oh, Jimmy <laughs> Savile. Yeah, I mean, him and Tam Payton are like just as two peas in a pod. Complete cunts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't print that. No, I won't print that. I mean, did, did it feel a certain relief when, you know, he eventually passed away? Because obviously... Well, I mean, I went through a period of uh, alcoholism and I uh, part of my kind of treatment or, you know, was to be able to forgive people who transgressed against me. Um, and that's what I did. So I'd, I'd actually forgiven him for all the shit that he did years before. And But I was kind of like, yeah, you're dead now. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was... Uh, you should never talk ill of the dead, they say, and it's a 
But, um, yeah, I was kind of slightly pleased when he passed away. And I, I just thought that he can't hurt anybody else, that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. And also, just lastly, I mean, you must feel very touched when your fans come up and see you at concerts and they say how much your music meant to them. Well, yeah, there's quite a lot of great stories, some of them very, very sad. Um, people who had been also abused when we were younger and who had terrible, awful um, childhoods and the basic role music, you know, helped me through these kind of things. I mean, I get messages on my Facebook and, you know, private messages, obviously. Um, and people tell me things that are just amazing, like, like wow, you know, how did you, how did you manage to get through that? Um, and it makes you, uh, makes you feel a little bit humble and you think, oh, I had a hard life. Wait a minute, this girl just told me about her life and that looks a lot harder than the life I had, you know, type of thing. So... <laughs> there is a special connection between the Basic Rose music and, and the Basic Rose band, whatever it represented to people back then. You know, this, it, it kind of like opens up a whole kind of psychological world where you're thinking, oh, wow, I mean, does I really have this kind of effect on people? Not that I knew I had that effect, but they... Let's say they, 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 they took the basic rollers and the music and the image of the basic rollers and they're, you know, the milk-drinking happy guys, boy next door kind of thing, and that helped a whole lot of people through their childhood, which is now, uh, or over the last 20 years, I've been reaping the rewards of that by performing to audiences all over the world who still want to come and see us. That is, I think, the strong connection between us. Yes, and it was all quite interesting because I, many, many decades ago, saw a play that was, I think it was called Shang Alang, which was based on the music of... I, I saw that. Of basic... Uh, like of the, two or three people, Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, the woman... I saw that in, um, in Islington at the, I don't know, the Cock and Hen or something, at Highbury at Islington. Yeah. I went to see that. Yes. Well, it was interesting because the woman who wrote that also went on to write Mamma Mia, which was obviously... That's right. And um, so you were kind of responsible, in a good way, for, for many things, but also... Mamma Mia. Yes, I mean, she, without, without writing Shang-A-Lang, she probably wouldn't have gone on to write, you know, um, Mamma Mia. And sort of, that was the kind of the blueprint for those kind of stories of people. I've got to get in touch with her. She could write Rollermania, couldn't she? She should. I think you should I think you drop her a line. Because I, I didn't realise that connection, because I was like, I'd seen Mamma Mia, and I thought, God, you know, and I had that kind of conversation with myself that you do. Thinking, yeah. oh, we'd seen something like that with the Bay City Rollers, and I had to do lots yeah. of googling and having, you know, looking around, and I thought, Shangalang, that was it, of course, <laughs> you know. And then I was Shang-a-lang sort of looked, <laughs> and then I thought, wow, oh, the woman who wrote that also wrote Mamma Mia. It's like, oh, it all makes sense. So that's yes, amazing. You saw that show. Where did you see it? I saw it at the Theatre Royal Norwich, probably. All right. In yeah. the, I it was know. like I think it was like maybe three three cast members. Was it? Yes, it was like four, yeah. it was three or four women going to a holiday camp, and oh, the, right. the music of the Bay City Rollers was their kind of <laughs> thing that was. United. I can't remember it because I was like super embarrassed. I was sitting right up the back when they were all going. I don't know they were doing bits. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knew I was there, but the, the hen and chicken or something it was in in Highbury Islington, and I remember going to see it because. I used to drink there, and yes. uh, and they got a little theatre upstairs. So yeah, 
Excellent. Well, that's good. Small world, eh? It's a very, and it's nice when you make those connections because you think, wow, from the base to Rollers to Abba. And uh, yeah. yeah, well, hopefully she's got fond memories. But look, I'm. And that was me in conversation with Les McEwen from the Bay City Rollers. And that was an interview that I did last year as he was on tour and doing his thing in the Eastern region and beyond. Anyway, this has been David Eastall, the C86 show. This is a special. Obviously not indie pop, but if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just go to at C86show. I will be there. And also the shows have been archived and you can find those on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes and Mixcloud. Anyway, this has been David Easter. I'll probably say that several times now. I just like to repeat myself. But anyway, have a good week.